<laughs> cool. Um, so I'll do a little I'll do a little introduction and then we'll we'll, we'll, we'll just get going. Um, hi everybody, welcome to the latest issue of the Blue Sky Fostering Podcast. Um, we're on issue number twenty. Um, when I started this, when we went into lockdown, I never thought I'd get to five, let alone twenty. And um, I was thinking, who could we bring on to kind of celebrate our our twentieth uh, issue of this? And I've been really lucky today to be joined by Chris and Paula from the Child's Eye Foundation. Um, I'll let them guys introduce themselves properly in a minute. Um, but Child's Eye Foundation are a charity that we've worked with at Blue Sky over the past few years. Um, I've done a few challenges for them myself to try and raise awareness and funds and stuff like that. Um, we're really proud to, to work with them. And um, the reason that we work with them is because we feel that they represent um similar to work to what we try and do um in in the uk anyway so i've talked enough um chris if we could start with you well and paula as well hi guys how are we doing hey ed how are you doing do you know what when me and paula were talking just before this i am i'm good i would be quite like uh lockdown part two to be over um it's not as much of a novelty as it was the first one um but it kind of it kind of is what it is paula was telling me that um you were um you were meant to be going back to Uganda sooner rather than later and that's all been postponed or did I misunderstand that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so I usually would have traveled to Uganda three times this year and I was last there in March and I was actually there when Uganda went into its lockdown and had a very dramatic time trying to leave. So I was there with one of our colleagues and kind of got her onto a plane and got her out. And one of the reasons I was uh, I chose to stay there with the team was because we were working with the government to ensure that there was a response to children and vulnerable families. Um, Initially, our government set out a response for health. So an awareness around the health issues, uh, Ministry of Health responding to the pandemic, but there wasn't really anything on children and families side, particularly vulnerable children. Okay, so yeah, so and then you sort of said like you guys have then worked to kind of get that more up their list of priorities, would you say? Yeah, Um, no, absolutely. Okay, um, and we'll come back to that because I've, I've I've got a note and I've got loads of questions I want to ask you about that. But um, Paula, um, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Uh, cool. Hi everyone, and and thank you, Ed. Uh, thank you so much for having us. Um, so perhaps as a way uh, of of uh, introduction, um, my name is Paula, and I work at Child's Eye Foundation with an amazing team here in the UK and Uganda um, as our relationships manager. Um, coordinating all of our fundraising activities here in the UK. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us. Paula, um, I think the last time I saw you face to face was um, for those people who don't, uh, who aren't part of Blue Sky uh, yet or at the moment or whatever. And um, we run a festival every year um, called Blue Sky Fest. And I think that was the last time we saw you, wasn't it? You guys had a stall um, yes. at, in, in the field. And um, what we also had there on that day was we had a, a welcome message um, from some of the team in Uganda that was on playing on a loop throughout the day. I was thinking about that when I was making a coffee earlier. Um, no, it was yeah. a beautiful event and thanks so much for having us. We, we got a chance to meet um, a number of uh, fantastic families and people that you guys work with um, on the day. So it was just a pleasure, not so much to um, sort of have a stall and, and be, um, you know, handing out the leaflets, but actually having some very interesting conversations with a number of people. So thank yeah. you. And you're welcome. Um, so, uh, Chris, um, can I come back to you? Can you tell me about um, what your role is at Child's Eye um, and and why why you work for Child's Eye? Um, that, that's what I want to know, please. Excellent. That seems, feels like an interview again, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, so I'll tell you a bit about me and then I'll tell you why I work at Child's Eye. So I'm, you know, my name is Christopher Mwanguzi. I'm Ugandan. Um, I've lived in the UK for about 20 years. And um, I have two children, uh, a little girl who is two and a boy who is seven. And I'm always told that I'm so proud of my kids. So I'll tell you a bit about them. Um, My daughter was born in March and I was at her delivery at home and performed a significant part of it before the emergency services came. Can you ask questions about that? I take my hat off to you there. <laughs> um, and my son was, was born in a in a hospital, but I was there too, and that was exciting. You didn't um, try and help with that one. They were like, "Please step away, sir." <laughs> Please step away. No, no, I was I was actively I was actively um, I was actively there, present, yeah. but not as involved as as our second our second child. 
Yeah. Um, so look, I work at Child's Eye because um, first of all, I'm driven to make uh, a real difference. And as a CEO, this is the third, the third role I've held as a CEO. And I've always, always said to people, I need to leave a legacy that is about making a real difference for children. I had never worked in international development. So when Lucy, the founder of Child's Eye approached me, I thought she was joking when she said, come to Uganda and see what's happening there. We've built a social workforce. And I thought, really? Um, I was here doing a lot of that work. We were training uh, social workforces. I was working with foster carers. I was working with social workers that supported foster carers, but I had never actually done the work in Uganda. So when I visited as a guest, I was, you know, I was just overwhelmed, um, excited. I, I gave up everything and went out there for what was meant to be six months. Um, that was three and a bit years ago, Ed. <laughs> so I do what I do because I was tricked into it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I do, I do, I do what I do because I'm driven by the need for change. Um, I really want to influence change in Uganda, but use that as practice across the world as well. Um, you, some of the stuff. There was one thing that you said there that really resonated with me, with a lot of the carers that we work with in terms of to bring it back to what we do in foster care is that the amount of carers that say, oh, this young person was coming to live with us for, you know, three months and here we are five, mm -hmm. six, five, six years later, um, right. because it's that kind of that drive and that commitment and that passion to carry on providing and doing what it is that you can for the young person and the young people that you are, you know, that you are responsible for. Um, Paula, can I fire the same question across to you, please? As to, um, you know, I know we've sort of spoke briefly about what your role is, but um, what made you um, sort of jump onto the child's eye um, Ship, so yeah, of course. Um, so before Child's Eye, I worked with a disability rights organization. And I think one thing that struck me the most, having um, been to Uganda the first time I went was in 2015. I, I had a chance at that time to meet many families and especially families um, that um, care for children with disabilities and, and uh, parents themselves that um, have disabilities is the... The level of support provided does really make a big difference to those families, and and I really wanted to be involved in this work. Um, and having met the founder of of Charles I Lucy um, uh, back in 2018, and um, I saw at that time the passion, uh, the passion for this work in Uganda, the passion for children uh, and children's rights and um, alternative care in particular. Um, and that, that, I think in life in general, passion really drives me. And, and I think that's why I really uh, love working with the team, both in the UK, as small as the team is, everyone is incredibly passionate about this work, but also the team in Uganda, and, you know, seeing Christopher doing this work now, having joined us last year, uh, he's also a very incredibly passionate person, uh, passionate about this work. Um, so for me, it's that, you know, children's rights is, you know, that's very close to my heart. But just seeing the sheer passion and dedication of everyone involved makes me feel a part, um, you know, a part of something very big. And, and uh, I feel like we're making change in the world. Um, I, I think for me, um, <coughs> I remember the first, my first um, encounter with you guys and, and what was happening was we had a team day um, years ago now and we set up a live link with Lucy um, and we had uh, a slightly wonky projector um, <laughs> and, uh, and we tried to have a conversation um, with the, the, the staff group that we had there at the time. And uh, some of it worked, some of it didn't. And but I think what it did was, for me, it first planted that seed of, oh, okay. Um, I, I I didn't have any understanding of what the um, the fostering system was was like in Uganda, which is one of my questions in a minute. Um, so for me, it raised a few sort of like a um, yeah that that piqued my interest to think, okay, what can I do to help him? Obviously, one of your guys, your key message, isn't it, is families families not orphanages. Um, can you maybe talk to me a little bit more about what historically the care system has been like and, and what that shift has gone towards now for people who don't know, please? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know what, I'll start, I'll start at the beginning. And I'm so glad you've asked this question because it's really important for people to know where we've come from. Mm. And first of all, our vision is, you know, we want Uganda to one day be free of orphanages so that every child will belong and grow up in a safe and loving family. So we want a family for every child. 
Um, and we are working right now with the government to ensure that we can demonstrate with them a child protection model that allows us to work with communities, to support them, to identify the challenges and the issues they have, to address those issues, because communities can do this themselves. They just need an extra bit of help. Um, and then to eventually be able to respond to those challenges and those issues. So our story started out with a, an orphanage. We, you know, our, our founder, Lucy Buck, went to Uganda, set up an orphanage, but she quickly realized that these children could go home and that they had families. So there's a, an interesting statistic that tells us that 80 to 90% of children in orphanages have families. We've realized that. But what we've also realized is that children don't need to go into orphanages. So what we essentially do is work with communities to strengthen them and their families to make sure that those children never have to be separated in the first place. Um, not every child can go home. Not every child can stay with their biological family. You know that, you know, blue sky fostering, uh, this is why you exist. And so what we've done with government is piloted initially a foster care program. And we started out with six, seven foster carers and they were originally from our orphanage home. So they were carers in the home who, um, and I was reading earlier on, I was reading your, your skills and stuff for fostering, but they were patient, they were humorous, they were funny, they were optimistic and enthusiastic. So all the things you look for, they were flexible with their approach and they had a genuine sense of wanting to make a difference for children. So we placed children with them. And when we realized that those children's outcomes, the children were faring better, they were happier, they were connected, they were in a family, their speech, for example, was better, their educational achievement was better, they were excited, they were playing with other children, and they had a sense of community, we realized that we had to expand that. So what we've done now is worked with government, and this is where it becomes a bit technical, to create alternative care panels, which we have here in the UK, in every district. So we work in three districts in Uganda, and we've piloted all this work. So we've demonstrated that it can work in those three districts or those three areas so that it's then scaled up across the whole country. There's so many things and so many similarities, I think, that um, I, at first, I don't think I really sort of realised. And then I think it became quite obvious quite clear, quite quickly. Like you said, you know, what are the skills you're looking for from foster carers? Well, it's no different, is it? It's the oh. same. You're looking for those flexible people with, um, you know, they don't need to be qualified to the, up to the eyes and stuff. It's actually, it's your approachability, your ability to get alongside young people to provide a safe, caring family for, for children. And also, and those outcomes for young people is something we always go on about is what is the outcome for that young person? What's the, um, you're talking about obviously the trialing in certain dif districts, but what's kind of the, so if, if historically it has been um, orphanages um, that have been the kind of main sort of um, care provider for children that need it. What's been the kind of national attitude towards a move towards foster care? Is it, is it well received? Is it met with some kind of, mm, not sure about that? Um, yeah, what's the kind of sort of national opinion of it, do you think? That's a, that's a great question. Now, you know, again, for your listeners to make sure that they understand it, Uganda is, um, like many countries, one that has a lot, needs a lot of policy to drive change. So one of the things we've done is definitely done the work to demonstrate that you know, we can make a real difference for children and children do better in family setup mm -hmm. than in orphanages. Um, so one of the things we have done is done a lot of work to gain political will, to ensure that the government understands why we're doing this work. Um, and so with that, we've provided the evidence that shows the number of children. So in total, since 2017, we've moved about 340 children from orphanages or institutional care. Um, we've shown the real outcomes for those children. Um, we have worked with the government and this year uh, they've passed a national child policy, which now affirms that children should be in families and not in residential care. They've also set up something called the alternative care framework, which looks at the alternatives to orphanages. So how do we ensure that children who are being separated, whether it's because they can't live with their parents um, or because they don't have parents to live with, so they really are genuinely orphans. Um, how do we make sure that they don't go into orphanages but get into families? So the alternative care framework, the national child policy, and a series of other policies have been developed. They're in place. Um, the really amazing news about the areas where we're demonstrating this work in Toro District in eastern Uganda, one of the districts we're working in, since 2018, 
no child has gone into an orphanage. And wow. by the end of next year, we will have no more orphanages. So when we first started there in 2016, 17, there were five orphanages. Three decided to close on their own and they actually started to pilot foster care because they had really good relationships with the community. Yeah. The two that remained, the first one had 60 children. I'm pleased to let you know that all those children now are in families. A, a couple are in independent living because they were much older. And the last home we're working with, the last orphanage we're working with, had 23 kids. And all these children will be supported to transition properly and happily by the end of next year. Um, so I've got two questions that have come out of that. Um, th with the orphanages, um, what's, are, they, are they state, privately funded? What's the kind of the, the, the funding system that goes into place for them? Because I'm just wondering about that shift towards foster care. Um, that's just Absolutely. Yeah. So, so orphanages in Uganda, the history of them is, is, is very interesting. There's a lot of different history, but, you know, people kind of attribute the HIV pandemic to our orphanage uh, mushrooming. But actually, during that time, uh, lots of families looked to kinship care. So the natural progression of children whose parents die is usually into kinship care, relatives, grandparents, uh, very good friends of the family, godparents, and so on and mm -hmm. so forth. Um, but there was a really massive tide of um, individuals wanting to do more and to do good. Um, Uganda has a massive number, 2.7 million um, orphans. And, you know, many people wanted to do more for the country. So, and we also have a lot of vulnerable families. So um, in doing that, lots of people set up orphanages. So to answer your question, orphanages are privately run. They're usually attached to churches or individuals who want to do well and do good. Yeah. I've met a lot of orphanage owners. Most of the people I meet, 98% of the people I meet are doing it to do good. Um, but with any orphanage business, you've got to keep running it. So it becomes a struggle. Uh, and so the challenge we've had is that orphanages recruit children and forget that the purpose of them being there is to support really vulnerable children. So you have families where there is capacity with parenting. So parents are struggling. It might be that um, they don't have enough money to send their child to school. And so the orphanage takes them in. With that, with that family, we go in to support them, first of all, to ensure that their child has access to education, and then to ensure that we can support them to become financially viable and sustainable to go on and support that child along their way. Everything you're saying, um, even in this sort of brief short time so far, just shows why being in a family and having that support of people like yourselves is so important. Um, and so it's, it's rather than containing and holding. So yeah, containing is maybe, maybe, maybe that's not the right turn of phrase, but rather than containing the children in an orphanage where you're together, actually by being in a family, you're allowing them to flourish aren't you and you're supporting them to go on to do those things that they that they may, may, might never have thought they could achieve and for me that's why you know when we have young people placed with blue sky who are able to be part of a family we were talking about um being part of a family at the moment and how we've had carers obviously that have welcomed young people into their families during during covid during lockdown mm -hmm. and actually what we're saying is as well and for those carers that have had young people in placement before covid started actually to be part of a family who's able to support you during this in crazy crazy time is going to stay with that young person for the rest of their lives and and actually for those young people that you've worked with who are now able to be with a family to support them it's it's a complete it completely changes their life doesn't it and that's not trying to over egg it and sound cheesy but it does doesn't it because it's a family for the rest of their life whether or not they're living with them they're still in contact with them aren't they Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, all the foster carers we have worked with, um, and I remember very clearly three years ago visiting some of them, um, they clearly told me that they have kept in touch with families that have taken those children on. They're, they're part of it. Um, and again, you know, uh, you know, the Ugandan culture, you look after a child in your home for a period of time, there's a connection for a long time with you. So we are looking forward to many years from now when some of those children can connect and look at how their community supported them. We don't have uh, an articulated social service in Uganda, but what we have is a strong community that gets trained to respond to child protection concerns within the community so that you don't have a concern where a child is struggling and on their own and a neighbor cannot help them. 
So it's very much a community approach. Um, the community raises the child. The village yeah. raises the child. The community is involved with you for the rest of your life. And what has the impact been on the actual on the wider community then with with orphanages closing or repurposing what they do um, and more young people living with families? What's the what's the impact specifically been on the local community? Okay, so we've had, um, I'll speak specifically from, I'll give, I'll talk to you mainly from 2017. I mean, we've had an enormous impact. And again, I look to the social work team in Uganda and, you know, really congratulate them on this. Um, you know, since we started doing the, what we call deinstitutionalization, so working to repurpose orphanages. And that's the other thing I really need to stress. A lot of the orphanages aren't just closed and forgotten about, they repurpose into community services we call them community hubs. So they will provide health services. They will provide educational services, training for um, local, local um, uh, people. They will give skills and, and so on and so forth. Um, the, one of them actually provides a feeding program for about 340 children who wouldn't have a place to go. So it's feeding and early childhood development. Um, but in that period, I've told you a bit about the 340 children. Um, you know, we've supported over 44,000 children um, from 11,000 families in that period. Um, and when I say that, that's not just the social workers, that's the social workers and amazing number, 425 community volunteers who have been trained. Now, these volunteers um, are not qualified social workers. We call them parasocial workers, but they have an understanding of child protection. So they know how to identify that. They have an understanding of identifying when a child is really unwell and needs to get medical support. So they will link families to medical services. And Ed, you'll be amazed. Some of these families never went to a hospital. They've never been to a doctor. So these community volunteers for the first time when they identify them, place them in touch with a, with a doctor. Um, in that time, we've also worked with a number of children with disabilities who didn't have assistive devices, so a wheelchair or um, an adaptation for their legs to walk to school, to go to a shop, to play football. Um, we've provided that and we've supported those families not to be hindered by being told they're not able, but to realize that they're able to achieve anything with the support of their communities. It's um it's uh something that um in um within foster care in the in the uk um there's a lot of emphasis put on developing what is so-called independence skills for young people and one of the things that i read recently was actually when you're talking to a 14 15 year old about you need to learn these independent skills you're very much making it come across in a way that well you turn 18 and you're on your own and actually it's trying to flip it more to learning interdependent skills so learning how to ask other people for help and learning that you can achieve with the support of others and everything you've just said there about actually helping those young people and, and families realize that there's people you know that you are here and that you know that your volunteers that the, the num that those numbers have just staggered me the amount of people you've got coming forward but it shows them that they're not on their own yeah um and that it takes and the family and the community are raising the children, raising the young people now, rather than um, having to kind of, you know, fend for themselves. Um, and I think one of the things that I wanted to ask then as well, so I've got a couple of questions. So, well, actually another comment is actually, it really shows to me how much you're focusing on upskilling the community. So it's not just helping those young people that are at, at immediate risk or immediate danger or need immediate help, but actually they're able to help their family members or they're able to recommend help to somebody else it's not just it's not just putting a plaster on it is it, it it's doing some deep-seated work to help educate as well um i would say and it was that was that a conscious aim I'm, I'm presuming that was a conscious sort of effort yeah yeah so look again you know we've been in uganda for 11 years so that's since lucy got there and the first couple of years the first eight years if you like of seven years was about um, the orphanage and getting children back home. We then had an amazing, if you like, um, older sibling, Hope and Homes for Children, who piloted their model, the active family and community support model um, in Uganda, but they delivered it in many other countries across the world, Bosnia, specifically Rwanda, which is near us. Mm -hmm. So we visited Rwanda and looked at the model and thought, wow, this is incredible. A community that looks after its people. So we adopted it consciously and uh we developed our five-year strategy and we are three years into that 
And that strategy is all about building the capacity of the community. So, Ed, actually, we realized quickly that you can transition. So take children out of orphanages back to their families. Now, we can do that to so many children. But if those families don't have a community to support them, they're going to be on their own. Yeah. So this is why for us, the community support, the community strengthening structure and model and approach is the right way to go. So we identify and train foster carers. We identify and train community volunteers. Those community volunteers then create a, a support system. We call it a community development network. So they'll sit together and discuss the issues in their localities, in their villages, and then they'll respond to them. Once that is set up, it's easier for us to go. And the other thing I'll point out is the coordinations, these, these community development networks, uh, they're not just there to sit and talk about the troubles. They're also there to find solutions. So some of them are village saving and loan schemes. So they'll save together. Uh, they will set up little businesses together. We've got, we've got one that owns, a, it's like a cooperative. They own a supermarket, a little shop on, on the street together. So they're really there to build the community strength and to ensure that families never feel that they're on their own. Um, listening to you, um, <laughs> excuse me, talking about it, I've got, I've got a question written down in front of me. And I kind of, I know half the answer already because listening to you talk, um, your passion and your um, ability to, um, I'd imagine, get people to listen to what's important. My, my question was, how have you managed, because obviously you said you needed to, gain the political influence to affect the change across the country but I was going to say how have you managed to gain that political influence um but the way that you're talking has kind of answered that already do you know what I mean it's it's that look this is what needs to happen you're basing it on statistics you're basing it on real people's lives um yeah what's been the secret really for this kind of political influence shift because it's obviously being adopted so it's it's hearts and minds um, and, you know, it's interesting you asked me that question. Today is World Kindness Day. And, um, you know, one thing that I've learned about this work is you don't go in, and Paula has extremely been a champion of this. You don't go in and criticize. You don't go in and point fingers. You don't go in and say there's a trouble. Um, I'm, I'm a psychotherapist, but I've worked with so many social workers, and I've learned so much from social work practice. Um, the one thing I'll leave with everybody is, a, a concept or a theory called unconditional positive regard. So we've used that right from the government all the way to the grassroots. So building a grassroots movement is about understanding what works in their presence, not what you're bringing. And it's about making sure that when you do, you're not coming and saying, you don't know what you're doing. So even when we work with the orphanages, it's about going, we recognize that you're working with 30 to 60 children. But imagine you could support and help a thousand children. Now, one of the equations we've done is it costs almost $100 uh, a month to keep a child in an orphanage. But imagine what $100 could do for a child living at home. Imagine what $100 could do for 10 children living in their family. Most orphanages have to pay their electricity, staff bills, mm. water. It's like a school. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a boarding school. Yeah. Imagine those kids were living at home with their families and we could go there and say, we're going to invest, we're going to help you to set up a small business, uh, whether it's a shop or a, a livelihood business like a farm, and you can use that to get your children to school. So it's been about hearts and minds, changing hearts and minds, getting people to see the story, to hear the story, and most importantly, um, listening to care leavers. Um, when a young carer or care leaver, I mean, when a care leaver, a young care leaver or a care leaver speaks and tells their story of the experience of growing up in care, it really opens your mind and yeah. heart to understanding what you can do differently for them. That's been the change. That's what's enabled the change. Um, for me as well, I think um, whenever um, I speak to, I, I, there's a few, quite a few of our young people that have left our care that I still keep in touch with. And when you talk to them, they're the ones that you go, okay, this is, this is how, what the work that was done when you were eight years old, what this is, what the actual out, uh, impact of it has been, because it's very difficult sometimes to see that immediate impact. It's one of the things we always talk to our carers about is, you know, a young person might be with you for a year and you think, oh, do you know what? Am I really making a difference? And it's not till they're 19, 20 that they then get a, a letter land on their doorstep and say, do you know what? You stuck with me when a lot of other people didn't. And um, this is the things that, 
you've you've done for me and 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 it's that thank you and it's also learning from those kids what do, what has worked but also what hasn't and again oh. so what could be improved for the next you know for those other for those um other young people that are you know that are going through similar things to them and and actually i remember me and paula having a conversation it's probably oh, i want to say maybe over over a year ago this year's flown by so i'm completely thrown with time but it was about helping the staff develop skills to teach young people uh-huh. independence interdependence skills and so what's your kind of like what work do you do with kids as they're getting to more that sort of age where they are going to need to stand on their their own two feet so to speak is have you got a specific project that you run with them or yeah that that's a great question so child's eye historically worked with mostly babies and uh, i'm sure that when lucy first spoke to you she would have talked a lot about working with babies. Um, in the last three years, we've started to do a lot more work with young people. And um, a specific program that we're doing in Kampala, which is the capital city of Uganda, in the division Makindye, has been with um, a couple of young adults, 16 to 25 year olds, who are preparing to go into, into, in, to, into independence or interdependence. Mm. Um, so here's, here are a few of the things we have done. Um, a lot of the social workers, because our team is social workers, we don't really have anything else. So we don't have youth workers or psychologists. We have a team of social workers who are um, kind of multi-skilled. And what they've done is they've had mentoring with, with a lot of the young people, um, budgeting skills. Um, they've done a lot of setting up your home or setting up your house, finding a property, so rent and paying rent, building links with the community. Um, getting ready for work and preparing for work. There's a fantastic story on our website about this young guy who leaves care and um, goes on to become a mechanic and works at a local garage. And, you know, he he's asking the social worker, um, how am I going to get to, to my job? I don't know how to. So social worker goes out and helps him buy a bicycle and helps him kind of get with the program, tells him how he'll save a lot more money than using public transport. And it's also fascinating because it's during the time of COVID and he doesn't want to get into a, into a van. And, and even for him, he's not been able to travel in public transport because that's not what he's been used to. Yeah. So there's a lot that's going on. One of the programs we're working on and I'm very excited about, we, we're hoping to launch this in 2021, is our Care Leavers Parliament. And this will be an opportunity for care leavers from the 134 districts across Uganda to stand or sit in parliament and tell politicians and the first lady, how, they, what the experience of, of li- living in care has been and you know why it's been so important to have a support structure that enables them to become interdependent. So there's a lot of work the social workers do in terms of preparation. And the preparation starts six months sometimes before young people are, are, are moved from the orphanage into, into either um, independent living or into their families. Um, and it could take also anywhere from 12 to 15 months of supporting those young people. Um, once they're in their communities, they're linked with a mentor, um, usually a community volunteer, who will then also go on to support them um, on their journey. So much support going in. It's, um, <laughs> I think you're doing everything you possibly can to give them the best sort of like leg up into their future. Um, the, um, one of the things that um, has come out from that is, that is when you've just mentioned the Care Leavers Parliament, if again, it's you know, you know, when Lucy started um, Child's Eye, to to go have gone from there to actually having representatives talking to mm-hmm. the First Lady, um, is that's one heck of a journey, isn't it? Um, to see that now come to fruition, must be yeah. Ed, I, I couldn't agree more. I'll say this to you. The government of Uganda has just been phenomenal because you're so right. I mean, I met Lucy and she'd tell me, oh my goodness, I, I, you know, I'm not sure how I'm going to get into that building. Um, our social workers have stood in court to argue for positions of children. They've passed on information and they've done this in partnership with government. So actually, Ed, most of our work has been in partnership with the government. So mm-hmm. it's, you're right. It's phenomenal. I, I think it's such an amazing journey and I, I owe it to the people who came before me as well and the social workers here now. Yeah. Um, so what, what kind of, what, what are the um, career opportunities like for young people that are leaving care? Um, you know, is, is there, what's the job market like? Is, is there, is there much hope? Is there, is there uh, many job opportunities? What does that look like for a, for a young care leaver? No, it isn't great actually. And um, you know, we, we have a long way to go in, in Uganda 
Um, we are working now with a couple of youth programs who take a care lever and also support them with their skills. And another thing I should add, this particular home I was telling you about in Kampala, um, they provided long-term education for these children. So they went to university education. Um, what they lacked was the life skills, you know, mm -hmm. skills for life, to be able to live in a community. So the donor and us have worked very hard to ensure that they can translate their experience. So one of them is a nurse, uh, as I mentioned, a mechanic. There's some that have done arts and painting. When I was there in March, we were able to take a couple of the young people to a boutique to learn how to you know, create their own arts and crafts and sell it. Um, so business skills. So the, the, the prospects are very, very limited and very small. And actually for most of the children or young people who live care, there is very little in education and experience that they've got. So we're really keen to work with as many organizations that are youth focused. Um, interestingly, in some of the conversations I've had, and this is no surprise, when you've asked them, what do you do for young people with lived care experience? They don't. So we're teaching a lot of organizations to recognize that there is a group of young people that have been forgotten. Yeah. Sometimes don't get remembered. Um, but we're hoping there'll be more skills development um, and also more shadowing and, and, and interim, you know, internships for young people leaving care. I think shadowing and um, internships are are the absolute way forward for kids who have got so much to offer, but because of the turbulent start in life has meant that the formal academic side of things has, has, has come second. You know, if you don't know where your next meal is going to come from, or if you don't know what mood mum is going to be when she comes home, or if there's been a tragedy in your family that has meant that you are on edge, going and sitting at school and and taking part in your exams isn't top of your list somebody saying to you well when you're when you're 18 you're going to need this qualification so you can get a job i don't care i've, I've not eaten today or i don't care i'm, I'm having to do a b and c to survive it, it, it goes down the list and also for us when young people are moving between schools or areas education falls you know school is a safe place for a lot of kids because it can be that time away from from home but also um in the same token, the education side of it doesn't always come at top of the list. And that's why for us, so that's why we, um, I don't know if you, how much you know sort of about our work, but we are the, were the first and only uh, foster agency to hold our own Duke of Edinburgh award license. Because uh -huh. what we recognised was a lot of our kids weren't able to, they, they offered it at school, but the kids weren't engaging with it for, for, for whatever reason, which I, I won't go into. But um, And so by us offering it, what we can do is we can say, look, we're going to work with you outside of your school setting, outside of your peers, with other young people who have got similar life experiences. And I tell you what, the amount of kids now that we've had go through our bronze award, because what we do is we do the bronze award. And then the idea is we say, right, we've done the bronze award with us. We've held your hand. And now you go off and do your silver or your gold with your community because we've given you that first step. Because so many companies will offer a young person a guaranteed interview if the only thing they've got on their CV mm. is a Duke of Edinburgh award. Um, and so I guess it's trying to get things, get people to understand how important things like that are. Because at the end of the day, these kids are going to be the ones that they're going to pay my pension. So I need kids having, I need kids, need kids these kids ugh, need kids being able to go to work. Do you know what I mean? Like my kids are going to need to go to the doctors when they're older. Or we need doctors. We need people to keep our communities thriving. Mm. Um, and so people should invest in our young people because if only for the selfish reason that we, we need people around for when I'm old, <laughs> but on the human level, we need people you know, these, these kids should have the same opportunities as everybody else. We should be doing the right thing for the young people that live in our societies. And, and I think that falls onto business owners, community leaders, um, people with ideas, people who have got that slight bit of extra time to give up. Um, and people that, you know, like myself and like companies like Blue Sky and like charities like Child's Eye, it's everybody is trying to do what we can to give the best future for for as many young people as possible. So I've gone off on a rant then, which I wasn't going to do, but. Um. No, no, I think, I think that's, I think that's great. And I'll, I'll just add to that, you know, to put it into context, Uganda's population, right? 56% of our population is 18 years and under. Okay? Yeah. So there you yeah. go. Um, so when you talk about investing in the future, it just makes sense. We are investing in our future engineers, our doctors, our nurses, our teachers, 
Um, we're investing in the people. I mean, I, I love that thing that talks about, I think 80% of um, the jobs for children who are seven years now haven't been created. Yeah, yeah. I, I talk to my our carers all the time about that. Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, I, I think we need not to be prescribing something that's perfect or based on a history yeah. that might change for a lot of these children and young people. And I completely agree with you. I love the Duke of Edinburgh Award. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, absolutely. We need to be investing in and in making sure that these young people are not forgotten. And in Uganda, that's exactly what we want. That's exactly what we want to do in partnership with not just the government, but with lots of other charities that also do the same work that we do. What about, um, so one of the things that we do quite a bit of work with our carers on is um, trying to get kids, uh, trying to get young people's ability to live in a digital world um, up. Because a lot of young people that I've worked with over the years, they're, they're, they, for various reasons, are limited on the amount of technology that they are allowed to, to have. So say, for example, you know, some young people are not allowed social media, some young people are not allowed phones and things like that. But at the same time, it's such a difficult balance because if you keep kids away from things like that, they are going to be lacking the skills that, like you say, in seven years time, when these new jobs are around, they're not going to have the skills to, to be able to engage with them. So what in terms of like the digital world, what, what where, how does you, where does Uganda sit in terms of that? Um, is there much sort of infrastructure in place in terms of internet speeds and technology and, and those kind of things? What's, what's that like for, for, for the young people that are going to be growing up with that? Yeah, I mean, th there was, COVID-19 has really, it's really shown us uh, the future, hasn't it? And um, Uganda has, it's got a digital world, but it's not uh, all inclusive. And actually for us and the families we work with. So, you know, I quoted earlier on 44,000 family, 44,000 children from 11,000 families in the last three years since 2017. Um, none of those homes uh, have access to internet, mm -hmm. uh, let alone electricity. Yeah. So um, digital wise, no, uh, particularly for our rural families, they're not in the digital age. And yeah. the impact of no access to education, which we already know is a really important thing for children, has impacted on these kids greatly. Um, I think that we are going to need to think about that or work in partnership with other charities and organizations that do. There are some organizations that bring um, digital stuff to rural areas, um, but there is a lot of disadvantage when it comes to that. So no, we're not yet there. Um, and at the moment, um, we're still supporting families to get through access to food, uh, malnutrition, yeah. Um, yeah. and lots of other things, um, let alone the access to um, education before the digital age. So in terms of um, COVID and, and the impact that that's had, obviously you said that you guys were working with the government to get a lot of things in place. And what has the, the general impact on the country of um, country been in terms of, you know, how has COVID affected Uganda? Yeah, so, I mean, you know, without going into the numbers, um, we have had fewer people infected and die, much fewer than, than mm. the rest of the world, or if you like, the UK. Um, but what's really impacted our country has been uh, containment measures, so the restrictions that were put in place. So we've had one lockdown and that was uh, from March to around August. And that was a long time for people to be in lockdown. So people's livelihoods, uh, access to income, um, many people have you know, daily income. So it's not wait for salary at the end of the month, yeah. which meant that they couldn't buy food the next day. Um, access to education, particularly for girls, um, obviously for every child, but particularly for girls, some girls have been told they won't go back to school and therefore need to become domestic workers. Um, the informal economy, I talk about this a lot. You know, many women who uh, make up 80% of the informal economy, uh, these are women who set up very small businesses that aren't registered and, you know, just are there for the day. So they'll sell food from the side of the street, but they'll make an income and take it back home to feed and look after their family. All those businesses went under. So... Livelihoods, income uh, has been impacted greatly um, since the beginning of this, since, since March, um, we've responded and supported about um, 5,900 families, um, providing them with food, uh, some with medicine, um, access to 
um, health. We've got a lot of children who had treatable diseases that couldn't access health. So children malaria couldn't go to hospitals because they were closed or clinics. Um, even children with epilepsy um, couldn't get the regular medication they would get. A lot of charities had to close their doors because they couldn't um, pivot or do similar work. We were really fortunate because we have a community volunteer uh, network that remained within the communities where these children were affected. And so the coordination was between our social workers on the phone and the community volunteers. And very rarely, but often did the social workers go out to visit families, particularly in emergency situations. Um, good news is most of them have PPE. So that has been easy, easy to access. But the biggest impact has been from the containment measures, the fact that livelihoods and access to income and again, education has been impacted. I think one of the things as well, isn't it? I think just your, your ability as a charity to pivot and to, and to kind of um, uh, move resources and, and to certain things and making sure, because ultimately this is something that um, we all at Blue Sky had a conversation about very early on and said, kids don't, you know, they, like day one of lockdown, kids didn't stop coming into care. <laughs> um, and so we carry on and I take my hat off to any of our carers who have, you know, welcomed young people into their families, like, like we were saying earlier. And I think for you guys to have been able to still offer support, different support, and then the same support as well at the same time is just, yeah, I think that's a, um, a, a great uh, tribute to, to your ability as a charity. And I think, um, I think one of the things that I think hopefully will make, might come from, from this is um, people listening to go, well, kind of, what can I do um, to to help, so to speak? And Paula, maybe this is something that you can you can kind of help us with as well. But uh, what um, have you got any positions open at the moment to sort of start with that? Have you, are you looking to recruit any staff at the moment, or so, Christopher? I'll let you take on the um, the any um, uh, active positions, and then I can definitely talk about all the different ways in which people could get involved in our cool. work. Perfect. Perfect. So, I mean, no, at the moment, so we've, we, we had a big recruitment drive actually through, through the summer. So we needed a country director in Uganda and we've just appointed one. Her name is Susan Ajak. And um, we've also appointed a grant and strategic partnerships manager that will work uh, very closely to help us with our fundraising and our communications work with donors um, and work very closely with Paola. So at the moment, no, but I'll tell you what we're really keen to have is volunteers. Uh, we can never have enough of those mm. uh, friends and volunteers. And again, I'll let Paula say a bit more about that. Um, and uh, as she speaks about the other ways we can, you can help us. Thanks, Chris. Um, so I love this question. Uh, there are so <laughs> many things that people could do. Um, so firstly, as Christopher said, volunteers, we do need them all the time. You know, there's only... In the UK, there's only five of us, and uh, as you you know, you, you could tell from from uh, the activities on social media, there are so many things going on and, and so many things to do, and quite exciting opportunities as well. You know, especially around fundraising and communications. Um, obviously, community events, um, challenge events, and things like that had to be put on hold this year, but um, we have. Uh, uh, quite an interesting plan of um, uh, different fundraising activities for next year. Uh, you know, things like website skills, social media skills, um, writing, copywriting, uh, social media copy, uh, design, graphic design, um, things like animation even. You know, our producer, we have an incredible producer in Uganda, um, He's currently looking to improve his um, uh, skills in, in uh, animation. So if there are uh, you know, any people interested or, or with the skills in that, that could uh, support um, his growth and um, his development, that would be amazing. Um, but, but that's more uh, fundraising and communication side of uh, volunteering. Um, Christopher, I'm sure, uh, will agree with me that uh, in terms of our program itself, um, in Uganda, uh, there are plenty uh, of areas that our social workers could def definitely improve on. Um, and we can, of course, um, you know, have a, a more detailed conversation as to what those areas would be. And that, uh, you know, uh, that we could um, develop some training uh, programs for, um, including young people uh, and independent or interdependent living. Um, 
so do get in touch with us. You know, we are a very small team. Um, we do not have, um, you know, usually if you send us an email, you will be talking to myself <laughs> or my colleague Shelley. So, so do write to us and, you know, we'd be more than happy to have a conversation over the phone uh, as to what what, uh, what you could offer and how we might work together. Um, Apart from that, uh, we do have uh, a couple of interesting things um, coming up. So one of them is our open house webinar, uh, a live uh, uh, open house event that we're running next week. And that is at six o'clock UK time on Thursday, the 19th of November. Uh, and it's an hour uh, with a cup of tea um, on uh, this beautiful platform, um, chatting with Christopher, myself, uh, our chair of trustees, uh, and our new country director, Susan, who will be joining us in January, um, around the importance of our work, uh, you know, having very similar conversations that we are having today, um, how COVID-19 has impacted um, the situation in Uganda, uh, but also how we are tackling all of these challenges. Um, and this, this event will also include a couple of video updates from our team in Uganda. So if any of you are interested, it's a free event, um, join us uh, and you can find this information um, very easily on our Facebook um, profile. But also again, um, uh, add a, uh, um, if it's possible, we could add that in the show notes. Yeah, uh, definitely. definitely add the link. Um, and also have a look on our website under the event section, you should be able to find it there too. Um, we also have the giving circle, which is uh, something that we're trying to communicate to our audience more and more. Um, we launched the giving circle in September, um, and it's it's really a community we're trying to build, a global community of change makers, um, people who are joining in um, by uh, signing up to give a monthly donation, but also they get access to um, latest updates from the field uh, and what's happening and, and sort of how our work is developing and growing and what we're, uh, that support is managing or helping us achieve. Um, but also uh, they get access to uh, video events that we uh, run on a quarterly basis as well. So do have a look at the Giving Circle. Uh, again, information is available on our website and I'll add that in the show notes. Um, and for those of you who may not be in a position at the moment um, to, to sign up to give monthly, join our newsletter. We, you know, I share updates uh, every month from all of our team on the different areas of our work uh, and all the developments with amazing video updates from the families um, that you all help us support. Um, so as I said, I'll add as much as I can in the show notes. Um, but if you have any questions at all, uh, send me an email uh, and, uh, and I'll make sure that I add that email in the show notes as well that you um, all have access to. Um, yeah, that's what I was going to say is um, everything um, Paolo's just said about the different ways um, and the open house webinar and everything like that um, will include um, underneath this so that you can be a part of that. And, and um, we're, we're going to... Um, with your with your blessing um advertise it as part of our um our, our um, marketing team as well um so that you know we can kind of spread the word because i think i think what's so important is i think that we all live on this giant rock oh. <laughs> called earth and 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 i think it's important to i think at the moment you can become quite insular and you're thinking that you know we're, we're, we're in our house and you know covid is doing what it's doing but actually the big there's a big wide world out there still still going on and and actually the work of, of many people many 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 people is still very much ongoing needed more now more than ever and um i think hopefully by listening to to you guys or us talk today i hope people maybe kind of realize how important it is i think i go i go through waves of you know i, I might do um I might do like a, a tough mudder or a Spartan run or whatever, and, you know, raise some money and, uh, you know, it, it's a hundred pounds here or there or whatever. And, and, and sometimes I lose that disconnect. I think, Oh, okay. That was, that was good. And off I go with my life. And then an email pings in from, from Paola saying, Oh, this is where your money's gone. And it's, Whoa. Okay. That has actually, this has done this. And this year we recently for our DOV award, um, Paola kindly gave us um, a, a lot of um, <laughs> elephants and giraffes um, that had been made um and our young people on our DOV award actually sold them as part of their volunteering section. And the reason that we did that is because we wanted our young people, A, to know that we work with a charity like Child's Eye, but also for them to know that they can make a difference as well. However small it is, you know, they set their prices for them. They went out. We had kids walking the streets, selling them to people. We had people selling them in shops. 
Um, and and we explained to them, Paolo very kindly had us printed um, leaflets to explain what Child's Eye did and, and how it worked with Blue Sky. And I think for me, it, one of the massive pluses of working with you guys is our kids having an understanding that they're not the only young people who have gone through dif difficult things in their life. Um, and so for us, we get twofold out of it. We get something out of it that's in terms of it's the right thing to do. And also our young people are given the opportunity to understand that they can have an impact on other people. I think that's so important. So, so important. No, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, that's why, you know, with our Blue Sky Fest as well, our um, all our, our, our bands and our entrances were Child's Eye and Blue Sky Ones. Um, and, and actually we've got, um, we are sponsoring a, a, a community, local community football team uh, together um, over in Kent. Um, and that's going to have the text to donate number for Child's Eye um, on the banner that's going to be at all their games. And again, I think it's about trying to find relevant stuff that actually if a family donates X amount of money, actually, rather than just that, it's actually if you can spread the word and help other people understand how they can be involved in whatever way it is. Some of the stuff you were talking about a minute ago about helping train young people on interdependent skills. I'm like, right, put my name down. Yep, all the work we're doing, that's transferable. There we go. Let's let's do that. It, it's it's that stuff. I'm excited um, again, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time to to talk to me. Um, can I just ask as well? Obviously, I mean, Paula, how did how many years it is that we've we've worked with you guys? Obviously, I think we've sent was it is it is either four or six of our social work staff have gone out to Uganda and worked worked there. For it's, well, it's actually seven. It's been seven years. Okay, seven. Okay. Yes, it's a long time, you know, a, a long, beautiful relationship. Yeah, one, one I hope will go on for a very long time. Exactly. Where's <laughs> <laughs> well, the yes for us? Um, and in terms of your um, your other people that you work with, obviously you've got like a um, a, a growing list, I guess, of um, of um, people that you work with. But you had a certain famous man with glasses win you some money on on uh, catchphrase, was it? <laughs> <laughs> he did, yes. It's uh, a very generous um, ambassador, Richard Osman, uh, yeah. catchphrase and won a, a significant amount um, for us, um, for our work, which we're incredibly grateful for. And I guess it's stuff like that that really gets the word out there as well, isn't it? Because people might see that, you know, see what charity is it. And I tell you what, if you're going to have somebody on any kind of quiz show in terms of <laughs> winning money, I I'd say it's him. <laughs> Yeah. Why did um? Why did I mean? Unless it's a personal reason, but what 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 drew somebody like him to child side? You know, um, I think it was the um the connection uh, that uh, Lucy Buck, the founder of uh, Child's Eye Foundation, uh, developed with Richard uh, through her time um, in TV production. Okay, uh, long-standing relationship we have with uh, Richard Osman. Cool. Um. Is there anything else then before we before we wrap up today that um that, that you know that that we've missed or anything else we'd like to cover uh, whilst we've got this platform, Chris? Is there anything else from you that you'd like to? Um, I think I think one thing I do want to say first of all, really big, is thank you to you, Ed. Um, thank you to Guy Fostering, every social worker that um, applied to come out, and all those that did come out because I remember there was an application process as well. Yeah. And I remember looking through some of the Blue Sky fostering applications and, and learning more about people. Um, so I want to thank you guys because, you know, you could do other things. You could support other people and you chose to support um, this Ugandan, small Ugandan charity that is hopefully making a big difference. So thank you. Uh, the second thing I want to say is um, I've never liked football, but I will tell you my son, my son loves it. And I was showing him. Uh, what Blue Sky Fostering is doing and we're going to support and do whatever we can because this is our team so I'm a proud I'm, a, I'm not just a proud supporter but I'm, I'm proudly associated with a team in Kent so I'm excited um, and then finally I just have a message for every foster carer um, that is part of Blue Sky Fostering I, I want I just want to say thank you for for and on behalf of many children I speak to so many kids who you know, struggle with the fact that they don't grow up in their biological families. And it just means a lot to have people who volunteer and open their doors and just give their homes and their time. So I want to just continue encouraging those foster carers and tell them that they're on a journey with us and the foster carers in Uganda. And maybe one day we'll have a, a pen pal 
arrangement for foster carers. So thank you guys and thank you everyone. Thank you for having us, Ed. Uh, you're more than welcome, and, and I think a, a big thank you as well for for, for me from um, to Simon, who is our founding director at Blue Sky. Um, this is very much um, at the centre and core of his of his heart, and I think it's so important. You know, we always um, speak about the, the different pieces that we're doing and stuff, and I know that Child's Eye is very he holds it very dear um, dear to him. So um, thank you for um, your kind, kind, kind words. Um, I'm sure all of our carers will massively appreciate it, um, and uh, yeah. I wish you guys all the best for the future. Um, hopefully I will be in touch if there's anything else that I can do in terms of the role that I've got at Blue Sky and linking up young people to, to work together. Um, you know, we're, we're up for doing anything and absolutely everything we can. Um, well, there you go, guys. Thank you ever so much. And um, I'll catch up with you guys soon, hopefully. Thank you so much, Ed. Thanks Thank for you. having us. You're welcome. Thanks, Pastor. Right, Thank you. Bye.